With so many of us having to adapt to different ways of living and working during the COVID-19 pandemic, James and I are having regular UX podcast Fika breaks, a live 30-minute chat. Visit uxpodcast.com slash Fika to find out when. UX podcast episode 237. Hello, everybody. Welcome to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, James Royal Lawson. And Pat Axbom. With listeners in 194 countries from Hong Kong to Afghanistan. Mar Marubai is a design and user research consultant based in London. Her recent projects have included, amongst others, working for Camden Council and their Good Work Camden initiative. And that work with Camden Council has involved a number of rounds of user interviews, some of which had to be conducted after the outbreak of COVID-19. Moore joins us to share her experiences from those interviews and talk about how we can prepare ourselves when conducting research. So, Mar, can you just describe for us, or tell us a little bit about the um, the interview you carried out a few weeks ago and what happened so it wasn't just one interview so i've been doing this piece of work with camden council and speaking to um to residents uh, that are newly uh, vulnerable so people that maybe before uh, they weren't identified as vulnerable but now they're they're in a more vulnerable situation and that can really just be anyone you know it can be you or me or just someone who's going through a rough patch and with everything that's going on you know um, your, your life just gets worse. So I was doing this piece of research um, for uh, for this program and just trying to understand, you know, I mean, we, we're trying to launch uh, something to help people basically have access to, to better work in the council. Oh, this was a system, and this is a, a program to try and um, uh, give more sub- digital support to people who are unemployed. Uh, well, yes, that, and also like give them training. Uh, uh, it's also working uh, with businesses in the in the borough. It's working with employers and just trying to, you know, create better work. So not just having, um, you know, like a gig economy type of work, but also having having work that's going to be um, good for the person in the long term and also for the business and trying to create that um, that inclusive uh, richness, you know, inclusive economy and, and trying to grow things. So it's a really, really lovely program. It's something uh, really, um, you know, positive. And, but obviously that means that we, we needed to have a lot of input. And, and the way I structure the research was having a bit of, uh, in the beginning, you know, having a, a bit more of like uh, open-ended uh, questions and a bit more explorative a bit more like uh, you were doing a discovery and then testing some of the um, assumptions and ideas that we had. Um, so a very simple format and, and yeah, and I mean, I've been speaking with lots of people and I think the, the situation, I mean, why this is special is because it's um, on the one hand, it's remote. So that's always harder. So I had done remote interviews before and remote user testing, remote card sorting before. Um, but you know, it's it's harder. I think you know if if the people aren't used to, and also you have the the whole thing of the pandemic, you know, the health crisis that's going on with COVID nineteen. So those two things combined. Did you um, yeah. 
did you start this research in person and then get kind of forced to move over to doing it remotely? Yes, um, we, we started in person. We started uh, interviewing people face to face and actually having some physical artifacts. And then we had to, I think, after one or two weeks, um, the next round of research, we had to do it remotely. So we had to very quickly set up, uh, you know, we, we started using Google Meets, um, started using things like Mural and, you know, just very quickly um trying to adapt what, what we had because we still um we still wanted to get those insights you know there was still value in doing it but we just couldn't be face to face um you know the situation in england we we have in a, in a lockdown and people have been advised not to travel if possible not to go to work and and you know and it's it's both sides it's for us you know but it's, it's also a risk for for these people so so we uh, moved on to the digital world and your target audience for these interviews, like you say, they're, they're, they were vulnerable people or people who maybe are at risk of losing their jobs yes. prior to COVID-19, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, this, this whole thing just made it worse. You know, and for example, we were talking with some people who maybe they were self-employed and, you know, they were doing some gig work here and there, uh, very varied, um, and, and they were getting by. And, you know, with the whole COVID-19, it just means like, it's completely, it's gone completely dry. They're not getting any work at all. Um, they're going through a very, uh, very difficult time because also they're not like officially employed. I mean, it, it just depends. Like we had a lot of uh, different situations. We had people who had been looking for a, for a job, and obviously they had to stop when when all all of this started. So, so really, um, really different. And then also, I, I don't know. I mean, um, I think. The interview that we're talking about where I think, you know, there was this situation, um, the person on the other end just started, um, I mean, she just started uh, crying, you know, it was quite, quite impactful. And I think that was just because they started talking, you know, describing everything that they were going through. And a lot of times I think we don't really reflect on, on what's going on. So we tend to just, you know, do the things and, and you don't really hear your own narrative about the events. And, and I think when you're in, in an interview, you know, you, you, you're having to explain someone about, about your life, about what you do and um, where you live, you know, your situation. And, and you know, it, it just becomes too much. So it's obviously this person then um, she became overwhelmed and, you know, it just we, we had a moment there and I'd really... For for me, it was a bit uh, confusing because obviously I was trying not to be leading. I was trying not to be um, not to be encouraging, you know, in a way, or trying to um, affect, you know, what what was going to happen. I was trying to. It's it's really hard, you know, because you have your discussion guide and you you want to stick, you know, you want to kind of um, return to the path that you have. But then on the other end, you you're having to uh, to say, well, there's a person here, you know, and they're going through these, and you know, it's a screw everything. I, I need to be here for this person. So um, I, I turned the, I was recording it and I, I turned everything off, you know, and we just talked and, and I, I mean, I, I try not to give any advice because I'm not qualified to do that. But I think just being there and being able to listen to uh, what they were going through, I think that was quite, quite useful. And then after that, um, I, the first thing I did um, was I, I spoke with people within my team, you know, and I said, well, you know, like this has just happened and you know, just, just trying to relieve because I think you, you're getting then all that load and, you know, it's just trying to share. And, and then I also wrote something about it and people were super amazing, you know, responsive. Everyone sent me uh, links, you know, articles, things that you can do. And then I put together just like a, 
um, like a really short guide, you know, of what to do in these type of situations. And this is just like for internal for, for our team, you know, but it's like what to do now that we're carrying research in these, in these times, you know, uh, how can we prepare ourselves? Because, you know, uh, 90% of, of uh, doing something successfully is preparing for it. So what can you do beforehand? Uh, what can you do during the interview? And then what can you do? And once you once you leave them, you know, and but going 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 back to the the actual interview. So what what um, what did you feel during that moment? What did you feel that went that you you handled well, and what went less well mm. during that moment when you were there with that that person? I think. I think what went less well or what I would have liked to do to, to do different was maybe just trying to stick, you know, to the discussion guide and trying to but I mean I didn't I didn't for a long time, but you know, just trying to to be professional me, you know, uh, rather than more human me. <laughs> but I think, you know, just switch naturally. So I'm I'm I feel a lot of empathy when I'm speaking with people and you know, given everything, um I think I handled it uh, quite well. Do, do you think that we oh, we should remain detached during these kind of research situations? Uh, I think so I think we need to to be there for the for the persons. I think we need to, you know, hold space and what I don't think we should do, and, and it's the part that it's really hard for me, you know, is saying, actually saying, well, you know, I actually getting too involved, you know, and telling them about your own personal problems, which is something that maybe with a friend I would do, you know, like if we were, if I was talking with a friend, I would say, oh, yes, you know, something similar happened to me, or I know someone, or, or you know, just maybe even giving more advice, or it, it, it's less of a, when, when you're interviewing someone, and I'm, I'm sure you know this from the podcast, you know, it's like you have to let the other person talk. And and I think, you know, that can be very, um, that can be very um, heavy, you know, for some people. And I think it's more natural when it's a conversation and, you know, someone someone says something and then the other person says something else. And, and I think, you know, obviously when you're doing user research, that's not, that's not something that you, that you would do, right? You, we, we even use the silence in a strategic way, you know, to, to get people to talk, to, to get people to tell us more about them and, and about the situation. So I think, I think then it's really hard, you know, like, because also these people, you know, they're, they're not really your friends, you know, you don't know anything about them, they don't know anything about you, and it's a professional relationship. So I think it's having those boundaries, you know, and, and saying, how can I, how can I be of help, you know, how can I um, give something to this person, if they need space, you know, if they need to talk with someone, if they need to be listened, you know, how can I be there without judging, you know, and, and just, you know, just give them something, because I really want to help them. But then at the same time, it's like, how do I not, you know, become involved, like too, too involved? Because um, obviously, you know, if, if I didn't have any of this, I would say, yeah, you know, let's, let's talk on the phone or something. But, but it's hard, you see, and also like, uh, you, you can't just do that. Have you had anything similar happen previously, like in, in face-to-face interviews or, or research? Have you had similar things happen or was this the first time? So yeah, I've I've had like um, so I worked before doing research with um, with sensitive you know around sensitive mm. topics and um, like mental health and addictions and um, there have been some situations which were maybe a bit more tense or you could feel what the other person was feeling. Uh, that's why I also think that the fact that we're doing this um, remotely, you know, you can't really see what the other person is doing and and it's it's just like another barrier mm. that you have there. 
Um, so before, yes, I had had some things like that, but it, it was never so so extreme. You know, it was always, I think also it was handled different. I think you can also um, measure how the other person is doing better. Because to me, it sounds like you handled it uh, extremely well. Uh, it, it sounds but like you, you're, you were perhaps unprepared for it, but you had, you, I mean, you're an experienced researcher, obviously, so you, you're always aware that something could happen, something could go wrong, and you sort of have to be flexible around what's going on. And there's this... Mm boundary of course yeah. always when you're doing an interview yeah but like yeah. like i said you know it's i i think the heartbeat and and i'm sure you you guys can understand it's like you yeah. always want to do more so you always want to you know and you always want to say well what could i have done you know that i didn't do i think um and that's one of the things that i've changed after this call you know after everyone just gave me uh, all these advices i i now um have like more um resources you know so for example if i'm interviewing people that are uh, I know because of of where they, they're coming from you know that they're having some problems around um, domestic violence you know or some kind of officials around that then I have like uh, like resources to put them in touch and say well you know you should contact all these people and they're going to help you and then at least you're giving them like a next step um, of action or if, or if you know they're going through any other problem you know and, and the good thing is that um, working for local government uh, they have a lot of services that people can use you know and and then it's at least you you're helping them a bit more um otherwise yeah i mean it's it's that thing about wanting to wanting to help people and and saying there's only so much i can do um i mean that's the whole thing about empathy yeah i think that's that is excellent advice that you when you do go into research interviews that you always have with you uh, a, a collection of um, resources to to share. Um, like I, I guess this is we've seen um, nowadays. Um, if an article is you know, news article is talking about um, uh, maybe someone uh, well known who's um, taken their own life, then there's a there's a, a code of conduct now in in amongst media um, organisations where at the end of the article they will always give um, links and and phone numbers to um, um, suicide charities and hotlines um, because it's been shown that there's always a spike um, there's generally a spike in in um, copycat um, situations for of people that are vulnerable straight after one of these well publicised um, media profiles um, if if one of these tragically happens now I've realised that we should put something at the end of this show because we're talking about this yeah, um yeah absolutely i just i just think it will it will vary a lot so i think you know if, in order to be useful the advice needs to also be specific so you have to know what you know what, what the person is going through um otherwise you know it will be too broad um yeah and, and also i mean i i think you know luckily the the type of things that i'm hearing from from research with residents at the moment you know they're not as, as extreme um, I mean, you never know, but for the moment, you know, there are more things like uh, they're not having the, you know, they, they can't access the food they need or they maybe they, they've been cut out, you know, from their families or they're not, they don't have, um, you know, they don't have any help with around childcare. They, it's, it's also like the climate of insecurity. I think, you know, that's also really, really heavy and, and that's for everyone, really. You know, I think what we're going through, it's, it's really, I, I don't want to say the word unprecedented, you know, because everyone keeps saying mm. that these are unprecedented times and it's, it's just mm. it's just fucking hard. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just really, really hard. But I think, um, I think though, we've, we've, we've got to look or consider the, the fact that um, probably how we 
talk to 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 users in these interview situations might well change now for for quite a sustained period of time Mm. um so some some of the skills that maybe we haven't had previously or maybe haven't been as warmed up with um are going to get thrown to the forefront now um these these Mm. this unknown amount of time going forward we don't know how any how how long any of this is going to to last um but you know, obviously, I think I think we need to consider, you know, like that that when we're actually when we're asking people things and we're letting them talk, you know, it's almost like, um, you know, it's almost like you're taking on a therapist role, you know. But I'm not a therapist. I'm I'm just a user researcher, you know, trying to get some insights for my team, um, so we can help better. So I mean, maybe we should do more training around that. Maybe we should, um, you know, try to see how we can um, be of more help because also. I mean, I've worked with many, many user researchers and and while there are some uh, traits which are common, like, you know, they're all like highly empathic people and they like to listen. Uh, but, you know, like we're all very different as well. So maybe, I mean, if I was a different person, I would have handled this different. You know, I mean, some people um, don't want to say especially men, but, you know, especially men, like, you know, if they, if they see people crying, they just completely, you know, like they can you know, they, they can block or, or um, you know, it's it's like we're all different. So I think we need to have some kind of um, guidelines on how to react uh, in situations like this and, and how to be of help. But it's it's, uh, it's so hugely important what you've been saying several times now, actually, that I've heard. Uh, it's not your job to give advice. Uh, and, and that is so important for so many researchers out there to realize. But I, I think there is a real, a very real danger that with all this empathy that you will want to give advice and in that situation mm. you can put yourself in all sort of problematic situations yeah. if you start giving advice uh, so I, I agree with all the training that has yeah. to happen here and the talking about it long long before it happens yeah i think an important point here Paris, is is, is like uh, mario said about that you know we're not trained as therapists or counselors where whereas you you're ending up in a situation where you do need to be a trained counselor mm-hmm. now uh, counseling that training is, is special and and very detailed and um just conducting the interview like you do at first and then switching to a counselor role you can't do that you shouldn't no. do it rather no, you shouldn't. So, so i guess you're going to need you you need because you you risk making potentially the problem worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess what we're looking for here, what we're talking about, is a, a, a special kind of training for researchers mm-hmm. that allows you to um, deal with these situations yeah. um, in a neutral way, as, as in a, a way that's going to not make things worse, yeah. um, but at the same time not and maybe make things better because you're not trained to do that job. It's a, it is a difficult one, this. It is. And and also I think, you know, maybe, I mean, looking at their recent past or looking maybe at their past uh, uh, 10 years, you know, like you were doing research and it, for example, if I was working for some kind of Uber or, you know, some kind of tech company, I wouldn't necessarily be dealing with vulnerable people. Uh, but now because of the situation, I mean, it doesn't really matter which field or which type of product you, you're um, mm. doing research for, like everyone is more susceptible of, of, you know, of being going through challenging times. So I think we need to be prepared. And I absolutely think, you know, I agree with you, like this should be part of the basic training that we get as researchers or, you know, um, I mean, uh, th- there are lots of stuff um, on the web, but I just think like, you know, maybe maybe we just need to make that, um, you know, a bit more um, take responsibility and say, if this happened to me, I mean, if, if someone 
listening to this podcast today, you know, they're, they're doing user research and if something like this happened to them, how would they react? So maybe just take five minutes to think about that and, and the things that you would do. Uh, what, what would you want to do and what would you not want to do? Mm. That's really good. I think one of the one of the articles you linked to from your your um, your mm. own article about this was um, um, I think you had the title "Putting Your Own Mask On First Before yeah. Helping Others." The, the the thing that you always read when we used to fly <laughs> in airplanes, um, and and that though was it made me think that's that's an excellent point because mm. um, yeah. what we need to think about here is making sure you as the as the interviewer mm-hmm. are are in a good place to deal with this as well. It's not it's not just about the the person at the other end who's clearly a bit traumatized and, and needs some maybe more professional counseling. Mm. You need to have help yeah. dealing with this emotionally and putting yourself in a good place I, um, so that you can recover from that interview and also so you can be healthy going into the next one. Yeah, absolutely. So that's one of the things, you know, when I when I said at the beginning like I have a few steps, you know, which I'm I'm I'll, I'll be sharing this um after but it's basically First of all, when you schedule the interviews, you know, you need to allow more time um, between interviews. So maybe, you know, if in a normal day you would speak with three or four users, you know, to so just make it less and, and allow more time so you can go back to yourself, you know, after after you have each of these sessions. And then also, so that's before. And then also after, I think you need to do something, whatever brings you back to whatever brings you back to your own space, you know, so whether that is uh, going for a walk, you know, talking to a friend, uh, doing meditation, going for a run, but you need to, because otherwise, you know, um, I mean, I, I tend to speak with, I don't know, maybe between five and 15, you know, users when I'm doing qualitative studies. And if, if you speak to that, that, much, that much amount of people and, and then you don't really uh, let that out, you know, you just like keeping stuff to yourself and hearing all these stories, you know, and, and you need to also look up to yourself. Being being aware of, of safeguarding policies, uh, recognizing effects of burnout and trauma. There is this excellent uh, staircase with uh, tips that you have in your article on Medium. Uh, there is so much in there re- with regards to to understanding yourself, but also having this recognizing when when to step in when to inter- interrupt and, and break the interview stop recording how do i end the interview if i'm, I'm it's too emotionally taxing for myself there's so many things so, sorry i keep interrupting but that's also something super important you know when you're doing reset i mean usually you would always do this you know you you tell people at the beginning you know like um, we, you're in control of this we can stop at any point and if anything makes mm-hmm. you feel uncomfortable i can go back delete it like you want to make them feel like they they can decide and and i think we need to as we as we go through the interview you know we need to keep on reminding them of that and it's almost like um you know saying you I mean, you're doing us a huge favor, you know, just by taking part of in this session, and you know we can stop this anytime and and just make make them know that they can do that. I think it's important to keep going back to that and keep. Um, I mean, you know, it's not giving them permission, but you know, it's just saying, you know, you can do that, and and you don't need to answer everything that I ask you, and you know, we can move on, uh, we can skip questions, and and just keep going um, for that. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just thinking, like, a, a lot of times, you know, it's just like something as simple as, you know, tell me a bit about yourself, which is like the, the, the first question I always ask is like, right, so tell me a bit about yourself, you know, who you are, what you do, and just something like that, you know, it can it can provoke so many different questions on different people. It's, it's amazing. One thing that strikes me as well about 
I mean, thinking about just this particular case where you're researching um, for people who are maybe going to be working using um, an employment related service um, that um, the fact that they are they have so much kind of um, or they get upset or they've got their anxiety anxiety levels are up or all these kind of things are actually really valuable inputs to, to judging the importance and knowing what you need to do. So there is yet another aspect of this is that you've you've got the big red button you need to press when clearly the person's too emotional to to, to you know, force an interview to go on. Um, but at the same time, you, you, it's important um, research to know just how traumatized maybe or frustrated they are about some of these aspects um, to make sure you do improve them and have the right data to improve yeah, them. It is, but I mean, I still, I wouldn't want to push that or, you know, lead the, the conversation in, in any way. You know, I think I think it's a valuable insight, you know, but I definitely, I, I, I wouldn't want to be asking things, you know, that are going to be um, making people uncomfortable. Because um, I think, you know, it's, it's, more, it's more around just giving them the space they need to, to express whatever they're going through that point um another thing um that's also really really useful when we're interviewing people in these situations is you know just to take the tension away sometimes it's to go to to artifacts you know or if you have like any any kind of i mean if, if this was like a real face-to-face thing i would use something like a prototype cards you know some kind of card sorting or something that directs the attention away from the subject um, I think, you know, we can still do that um, in, if we're doing remotely, you know, you can say, well, you know, look at this screen or, you know, just trying to just trying to make, uh, make it a bit easier for them, you know, give them some, some space to breathe as well, you know, to go back into, into themselves. Mm. Uh, that's, that's actually made me think of um, the use of um, glove puppets oh. on video <laughs> links to get children to talk. Kids will talk more to, um, to a glove puppet than they would to an to a adult or a human. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's how, how do we do that? I, I don't know, but I, th- I think that's that's what would be great. I'm not know? suggesting, rather, you do that in your next round. I, I think maybe it won't work in your no, context. But, yes, but. It, yes, it's the point about the artifact. I think it's it's really important that you have something else to talk yeah. about. It, I mean, that works in all contexts within UX. I think, which is which is really good. Uh, so I, for me, I recognize now when you're talking about this that it seems like it doesn't always have to end either with uh, with always just breaking the interview. It can also be questions do you want to do you want to take five minutes uh, uh, to breathe do you want to reschedule uh, so there are so many options available yeah that's that's what we did with that mm. session mm. you know obviously mm. we couldn't continue that day but mm. then we rearranged it for another and mm. that's because the person wanted you know they were really happy with what you know the project what they were seeing and they wanted to help us so so i think that's also something that you can do you can offer them that that uh, possibility and say, do you do you want to do this again, or you know, do you just want to stop? And and again, it's putting them in control. And that also gives you opportunity to to if they do want to follow up and reschedule, then you can gather together some resources that you can make sure you give them um, in conjunction with the the follow up um, chat. Yeah, no, it is. It's something to think about. I mean, like, like um, I think James, like you said before, this is going to change the way we work, I think, going forward. And, you know, and we need to be more prepared. Excellent. Thank you very much for sharing your stories and experiences with us today, Marjorie. Well, thank you so much for listening. And, you know, I hope it's useful for the people that are listening to the podcast. I, I love the podcast. So, um, so yeah, can't wait to, to see um, the next episode. <laughs>
so what was going through my head uh, throughout the interview was that we're thinking about how to prepare for the unexpected. And uh, in a sense, of course, then that means it's impossible because the unexpected is always unexpected. So we have to prepare for what we will be unprepared for. How do we work that into uh, research education? And how do we work it, it, that into uh, how we talk to others about conducting interviews and teach it to others? Uh, it's really difficult. I mean, you are going to find yourself in these situations and where you have to be extremely respectful of other people and realize that you don't have all the answers for them. I think what's, what's, what's important there is exactly like you said, you, you can't prepare for an infinite number of, of unknown situations. But the, 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 the common thing in all these situations is going to be you're there. You're, you're doing the interview, mm -hmm. which going back to the bit we talked about with putting your own mask on first, um, the, the key thing is going to be that you need to know how to look after yourself because you are the one that's always going to be in that interview because <laughs> you're conducting them. So yeah. if you if you learn more about what process you need to have to um reset after an interview, um you know, calm yourself down, shake things off, you know, um, oh, not be too emotionally um lost in these interviews um for too long. And don't book too many of them uh, back to back. You need that recovery time or you you have to expect to need recovery mm. time. At the same time, though, I think it's... Um, we mentioned that uh, one thing you could do is, if you are going into a particular set or series of interviews, you know what the um, the rough topic is, uh, uh, is um, about. So you can, you can collect together the latest um, support lines or help things, or you can make sure you know um, what is likely to be something that comes up. Even if, like you said, Per, that you can't know for sure that's exactly what will come up. And it can come up with any topic because you never know what state of mind people are in. I think the, the, the piece of advice that resonated most with me uh, and that I haven't actually applied enough is what I realized is that before even starting the interview to advise the person that they can always, always choose to stop the interview at any time for whatever reason. It's, it's, it's not up to me. It's up to them. Uh, they're there to help me, and I'm I'm okay with them stopping if they don't they don't feel comfortable for whatever yeah. reason. <clears throat> that's um that's really good advice. I um I actually chatted to my sister, uh, who's a professional counsellor, um, and asked her a little bit about what what do we as accidental counsellors um, need to do um, to minimise the damage effectively. Because you know this when it when it boils down to it, you you aren't their therapist. You aren't, the, you aren't going to be this person's mm. counsellor that you're interviewing. You're talking to them for a fixed amount of time, one-off thing. You're doing research. So it's kind of, it is damage limitation. And um, yeah. if you've got to remember that you, you're not going to fix them. And you need to give them that respect and that opportunity, exactly like you said. Make sure you open the door for them to stop the interview cancel it or you know mm. not going to subjects or places that they're not prepared to talk about yet um i think another thing my sister said was um about acknowledging um when they do get into difficulty or they are going through some emotional expression of of, of what they've they've been through themselves um, acknowledge that 
it is difficult and they, you understand that it's um, difficult for them to talk about it yeah affirm their emotions and feelings because they're always yeah. valid and respect their boundaries because it's it's their stories their life mm. and I, I mean i can certainly see the dangers here uh, when when you have someone who maybe has only booked four or five interviews and they're relying oh i have this date i need to get this date i or, uh, if this interview fails i.e i don't get the date i want from it then i won't have enough to go on with my project so i can see the dangers in thinking that your needs go before their needs i think that's what you need to actually find that balance in that it's always the needs of the person you're interviewing they are the ones who are actually doing something and going out of their way to help you uh, so you can never demand more of them uh, than should be expected during the interview you're, you're right i mean you've got to respect them foremost in the interview but going back to what we said mm. after the interview it's about you yes very good point yes making sure you take care of your mm. own health and mm. your own state of mind because um, like i said you're not gonna be able to fix them you're not their therapist right I mean that. I mean, guess that would be a recommendation for t if you work in a team that you have debriefing sessions, uh, if not after each interview, at least end of day or something like that, when you talk about what you've been through, which will also help others be better prepared in that they have also under they have also understood what could happen. Yeah, that's that's excellent advice, and and I know um, counselors and psychologists, therapists, um, part of the like professional code of conduct for for all those people is that they have counseling therapy um, sessions themselves as part of their debriefing part of their getting rid of all this that they've um, they've had to soak up during their work yeah uh, so we did talk a while back uh, to someone who's been through a lot of interviews and research situations who even wrote a book about it uh, and that is uh, steve portugal of course uh, and we uh, interviewed him back in, when was it? Episode 149. Wow. Um, which is when he, um, he released um, War Stories, um, which is a collection of, of stories um, that Steve has gathered from, from people who've done research over the years and had stories to tell, both good and bad. And that what we talk about in that podcast interview is just the benefits of sharing these um, experiences of both good research experiences and traumatic or bad research experiences yeah so i mean for me that's something that also helps that i mean y you can empathize with those situations which mean you become even more aware of the inevitability of something happening that you didn't expect and ultimately better prepared yeah remember to keep moving see you on the other side What kind of jokes are allowed during quarantine? I don't know, James. What kind of jokes are allowed during quarantine? In jokes. <laughs>